You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. So what changes forever besides this bumper music? Well, telehealth goes from 1% adoption to do or die in America today. The coming insurance rate hikes are going to be massive and inevitable and are the beginning of the end of BUCA model. A new model will emerge, employers contracting direct. Ask Walmart if they'll ever go back. Ask anyone. Uh, Zoom now allows every good idea access to board CEOs who have lots more time on their hands than they had before. And direct and virtual primary care are entering what I would call a golden era, from tiny to meaningful. Value-based care will bury fee-for-service, and they themselves will be buried as capitation is lowered, lowered, lowered by mega lobby bigs, gasping for oxygen, greedy for the prize, the independent physician networks. We've seen it in MRIs. We've seen it in hundreds of areas. The lowering of pricing is just the way things go. Sensors at home convert the patient into the quarterback of care as opposed to the doctor who's currently the quarterback. The doctor will be relegated to that of a coach. The PCP and their staff will be the cheer squad to make sure that the person at home, the employee, the patient is going to be doing all the right things and know what to do next, but they will no longer be the quarterback. And big hospitals are unable to respond to actual health care as they go the way of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac a failed model that overplayed its bigness. PBMs and other middles that are playing three-card Monty with employer funds, I believe, are cooked. I think the days of no more transparency are going to be over. And non-transparent advisors and consultants, the same thing. Their clock is ticking. I'm so sorry. Pick a side. Employers, carriers, you can't represent both. China and Italy contacts give all of us time travel superpowers here in America. Today, I want to welcome your 30-day future insight with a guest from Northern Italy. Renee Wirtz is CEO of, if you're a gravel bike rider, a company you've heard of a million times called 3T. They're a 30-year-old racing bike factory, but they've seen champions in races like the Tour de France, all the way to the Ironmans, and more, with presence in Taiwan, California, and Italy, and with 20 worldwide service centers. But... 3T is really famous for pioneering gravel bikes and their components. These are those $5,000 carbon frames. But when you think of bike riding, you're going to be thinking of road bikes or mountain bikes. You didn't know there was a category even called gravel bikes. We'll learn about that today, what that's so, what's so cool about that. And they switched in three days. We're talking 72 hours, folks, from making light as a feather carbon frames to full face masks and ventilator valves, switching production overnight out of Italy where labor was uncertain, to Denmark, less affected by the virus there. So today, time travel with me, and we're going to learn the art of the pivot from someone who knows. Renee Wirtz, I am so proud to have you join us on the show. Tell me um, what, first of all, a gravel bike is for our listeners. 
So basically, a gravel bike is a road bike with uh, wider tires. So initially, you had only mountain bikes for off-road, and you had a road bike which were for pure on-the-road riding. And what you see is that um, with, with an increased uh, number of accidents for people riding on the road, people are looking for something else, for riding more off-road in a more safe environment. Um, but that was only possible with a mountain bike. Uh, but a lot of people, they like the speed of a road race bike. So the gravel bike is actually merged with the two. It combines the best of both worlds. It's a very fast bike on the road, but you can also ride with that bike off-road because you can fit mountain bike wheels and mountain bike tires on a gravel bike. In the end, it's a more natural way of how people cycle. Most people cycle from their home, home over the road, then make a loop in the forest off-road and then go riding back off on the road back to the home. So if you wanted to ride in Austin, Texas, where my friend and his daughter, who's a national champion, 11-year-old on mountain biking, want to ride on a gravel road, you're going to a Texas rural road in Llano, Texas. And you can go literally 80 miles with no cars ever being seen. But you're on a little dirt rural road. And I'm assuming Italy, in fact, in fact the entire world has gravel roads. Uh, you might also be called dirt riding. Those roads are everywhere. We launched this bike four years ago. Most people said, ah, that's a fantastic uh, bike, but you cannot, those kind of roads only exist in the US. And then increasingly we had people coming to us saying, I found some gravel roads in my backyard. And these were people from Italy, from Spain, from France, from Japan, from Australia. So those roads exist everywhere, but not a lot of people were used to look into finding those roads. So now they find the roads because they have a bike that can bring them on those roads. So you're running a company that is internationally known as one of the finest and most innovative companies for not only bikes, but really particularly gravel bikes is, is your amazing innovations that you have over and over again. But you have had to pivot when this virus hit because I don't know if it's not that people are buying those bikes anymore, but suddenly people are concerned about much higher priorities. Tell us what you did with your factory and how you came to that conclusion and what others are doing that are living in this time frame 30 days from where we are in America? So we actually, we were faced a gradual lockdown, lockdown, which happened actually fast, but it happened in steps. So the initial step was that a certain area of Italy was closed down around 150 kilometers from our office. And in Bergamo, where my office is, we kept living normal life, we went going out, even though there was a request from the government to keep distance and not going out, people were still doing that. Uh, then there was an announcement that uh, shops were going to uh, shut down at six o'clock. Two days later, shops were entirely closed. Then restaurants closed. Still, offices could remain open, so we kept on working. Uh, and then it was announced that only uh, people in production and warehousing could work. And we were both producing and we were shipping, so we could still work. And then we left most of our people work from home. We had three people in the office. And then what happened on a Saturday night, the numbers that came in about the number of new cases and the number of people died kept going up. And the government decided that from Wednesday onwards to so three days later, uh, no factory or office was allowed to work anymore. Three days to do two things. One was to move half our warehouse from Italy to Denmark. We had a very small uh, warehouse location in Denmark where we were used to store our demo bikes. And we packed as many bikes as we could in those three days and we shipped those to Denmark. So that allows us now to keep uh, shipping and uh, selling bikes. Uh, and the second thing we did was um, we, had an, uh, we had a campaign running to raise money for the Bergamo Hospital. But I personally felt like 
just donating money, that's just not good enough. We are a young company. We are very dynamic. We are very creative and we have a factory. We must be able to do something else than just donating money. Uh, so I called a friend of mine that is a member of entrepreneur organization. I'm a member of a global uh, entrepreneur organization called EO. Uh, and I called him and he is in uh, medical production. And I said, hey, you have seen my factory. What is it that you think that we could do to produce or to help uh, you know, the, the hospitals? And he said, you have that fantastic 3D printer. You can produce valves because there wasn't two uh, Italian engineers. They discovered that a Decalon diving mask could be transferred very quickly, transformed very quickly into a breathing device. So we figured it out on Sunday. We had a first prototype on Monday. And from Tuesday onwards, we were on full production with this valve uh, to, uh, to transform these massively available uh, diving masks into breathing devices. And in my company, we have um, two people were impacted and were in quarantine and two of my family members of my colleagues died. So in our company, people are very emotionally um, involved in what happened. We had really people uh, personally impacted by, uh, by this. So in our company, people are very proud and very willing to do whatever they can to help. Um, and other than that, my, I have also a Taiwan office and my time in Taiwan, everything is very much under control, as you, you probably know. So what my Taiwan office did at the same time is they collected money locally and they bought uh, 3,000 masks that they sent over that I donated yesterday to the hospital over here. So I've seen a tremendous amount of willingness among my team to, uh, to help out and to, to do something concrete to help. Renee, that's a very touching story and a very powerful story. Uh, I've been a member of EO here for 27 years. In fact, the first Texas chapter was started by me and two other guys, and one of them is a, a billionaire today. He's done very well for himself. Uh, nice to see the trajectory of people. Uh, I'm not seeing that Houston Texans are there yet to do this pivot you're talking about. What are other EO members doing in Northern Italy and in your network that are pivoting that aren't in manufacturing? Uh, well, we have, uh, we have uh, several initiatives. We have one of my EO colleagues, uh, uh, she is producing uh, normally uh, high-end furniture and they use a lot of uh, cotton uh, for that production. Uh, they have also switched part of that production to producing masks. Uh, there's another factory here, uh, Santini Clothing. They make uh, cycle uh, uh, clothing for mountain bike and road. They are now full production of masks as well. And another EO member, uh, he was producing uh, or assembling on small scale um, uh, medical uh, equipment to measure the oxygen level in your blood. And uh, he had orders for 10,000 before they started and two weeks into the into this uh, crisis he has orders for a hundred thousand units uh, so he is trying to ramp up his his company uh, as soon as possible to deliver the project but also his business is growing right it's a bit for him that is a, that is his company that is his core business so he sees an enormous growth in 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 uh, in his company. The other, the, the other examples I gave are all doing this pro, pro donor, right? So we produce valves for free. Uh, and also the, the other EO colleague that is producing masks, they don't charge for that right now. 
It's amazing. I was on the Zoom call yesterday with our EO Houston chapter, and we had about 30 of us on there out of a chapter of close to 180. And one of our members um, took us on a car ride in his on this unit, and he drove us to his factory, which is in Livingston, Texas, which is the middle of nowhere, Texas, an hour and a half north of Houston. And he showed us his hand sanitizer factory that he had converted from specialty oil chemicals. And so he is just literally loading truckloads of hand sanitizer. And he got a call from the city of New Orleans a couple of days ago, and they wanted to do a flyover and crop dust. The whole city of New Orleans was hand sanitizer. The problem with that is it's a highly flammable alcohol-based chemical, and you would be literally setting up a fire trap for the whole city of New Orleans. So a wiser heads prevailed, but um, we're still in the crazy phase here in America. Yeah, what, I, what I've noticed here is that when this happened, now everything is possible, right? If you have a solution, in the, in the past you had rules and certification and things took months to get, get approved. Now things go very, very, very fast. Yeah, you can call your mayor, you can call uh, people in the government, you can get call other companies on a, on a Saturday afternoon. You say, I have an idea, this is what I want to do. And the next day it's in progress. I'm, I'm really impressed with the, 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 the way uh, people are trying to to help and 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 bend the rules to uh, to find solutions on a very short notice. So, Renee, I have a friend in one of my forums. I'm in many of them. I launched forums and then I get out after three months. But one of my new launchpad forums has a member. He has an antimicrobial solution that costs the same to make as a can of paint. I mean, it's literally under thirty dollars per gallon, and he is having trouble getting funding. Just literally bought this con this. Uh, intellectual property just five days before the news broke. So it's time it couldn't have been better, but he can't get funding for his new company. What would you do if you were a guy that had a solution that had been in Disney parks, in and out burgers, underwater sea, really literally an antimicrobial can of paint. What would you do to get funding for a guy like that? If you were in Northern Italy? Well, Northern Italy, we are in a, I think in a very, very good position because this part of Italy is actually very wealthy. It is probably the wealthiest part of Europe, uh, and and uh, in particularly in Bergamo, the city where I'm living. And there's a lot of uh, people with, uh, with with money that want to invest, and people are very proud of being from Bergamo, right? So the lines here are very short. Uh, there is a very strong entrepreneur community here where. If I wouldn't have an issue in something like this, I think that uh, in a couple of hours, uh, some phone calls, I would have someone that would be willing to invest in that. And that's actually happening. We have two people here that had an ID and two wealthy people in the Bergamo are putting money in those ideas that those ideas can save lives too. So there is, there is money available here. So I think that the EO network is another good uh, example or a good uh, organization where you can turn to. Uh, within EO, there's a lot of, uh, positive attitude, a lot of um, uh, you know people with with money that that are willing to invest, and uh, and within EO people within EO have so many connections that maybe that EO member doesn't can help you, but you know someone that can help you. Renee, what are people doing to professionally chill that aren't are there <laughs> are there folks in your chapter and friends of yours that are just learning how to hang out in the swimming pool in the backyard and just relax with the family? And wait this out. Um, I mean, I'm sure not not everybody is proactive and is giving or ability to give as you are. What are others people doing to just relax and enjoy their families? Yeah, it, it is. It is. Uh, we have an EO. Um, well, all entrepreneurs are you know looking for opportunities. So most of them actually have uh, have are doing something, even if it's just 
continuing their business and trying to improve what they're doing. There are a few members that are, I think, a little bit depressed and they don't know what to do, and they are um, they are connecting with us to try to remain positive. Um, it is very hard to, uh, from so from living a very active life in terms of running your business, building a business, doing sports, stuff like that, to be all of a sudden at home because we are not allowed to do sports, right? We we are not allowed to leave the home except for walk to the supermarket and to walk your dog. And then you have to have a piece of paper uh, written on it where you're living and where you're going and what time you are leaving your house and where you're back. So we have really almost no freedom to move around. Uh, and, uh, and I can see that over the, we are now in this position situation for around three weeks. Uh, it's hard for a lot of families to be 24 hours, seven days a week in the same house, uh, locked up. and. Um, yeah, we just discussed this morning in our forum, uh, you know, how we deal with this. And most best ideas are actually to keep to keep in, on one side a certain uh, routine in your life. So get up at a certain time, uh, have your breakfast, have your lunch, have your dinner as a family. Uh, and in between, try to create some, some new things. Do games with your children. Uh, do... Um, um, I did some uh, pasta cooking with my kids, for example. I made the pasta myself. It takes two hours, so that's great to kill two hours. Um, we watch a movie together. Uh, we try to also be very grateful in the position we are. I have, a, I have a pretty sizable house, so we have a lot of space. But there are a lot of people here there with four or five people sitting at the same kitchen table trying to follow classes at school. Uh, husband working and, uh, and his wife working too, so that is not so easy. Um, and we also try to connect a lot with uh, friends, making calls to people. Um, rules in America, I think it's going to get uh, nationalized what we have to do in terms of staying at home because it's city by city, county by county, state by state. Are you allowed to get out and ride with a group of people if you want? Um, in, you're in Denmark right now or you're in, or are you in Italy right now? I'm in Italy, but we moved to uh, the warehouse, to outsource warehouse in Denmark. So we are invoicing uh, and uh, ordering from from in Italy but the shipments are done from Denmark at the moment so you're not you can't exactly ride with your buddies in a peloton but can you ride you know six or 12 or 15 feet apart out in public and not get a fine no, no we are not allowed to recycle at all we are not allowed to go jogging at all we are not allowed to do anything outside we are not allowed to go home so lockdown means lockdown you cannot literally get out and exercise and go first and get some sun Correct. So I can walk the dock and then I have to stay 200 meters from my house. There's every day a police car driving to my street announcing, stay in home, stay in your house. So that's with a loudspeaker so that you hear that sound for half an hour. That's very dramatic. Uh, I can go to the office because we produce these valves. So I have a permit to go to my office and back. Uh, but uh, that's that's only for people that are, you know, in essential jobs, uh, so to speak, or producing parts for essential uh, products. Um, the rest you have to stay home, yeah. And you can walk to the supermarket. And in the supermarket, they allow uh, one person per five square meters in the supermarket. So there's a massive queue outside before you can enter the supermarket. You can only go alone to the supermarket, not with two people. One per person per family. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty severe, yeah. I think the lockdown here in Italy is the most severe in Europe also. Well, you're having the most deaths because we're told in America, at least, that you have the most elderly population closer to American demographics. You also have a high smoking population. We have only 14% smoke here, but much higher in Italy. 
Uh, and so, but we're, our economy looks like your economy. Our demographics look very similar to your demographics. So Bill Gates came out today with a column in major newspaper and he said, lockdown means lockdown. Let's get it nationalized. Let's do this right. You know, we're, we're too spotty. And he, um, yeah, we did it. In, as I said here in Italy, it was also in steps, several steps till we arrived to this point. And I see it in all the other countries, the same thing, Spain start the same as Italy and, and lockdown completely within 10 days, France, same thing. And Northern Europe, they also make it uh, stricter and stricter, but they are not at the same level as we are yet. In, in, for example, in the Netherlands where I'm from, the bicycle shops are still open, uh, like in the US, but in Italy, that's all closed. Oh, it's interesting. Your, your young people, like our young people here, are crazy independent. They don't like being told what to do by people with gray hair. Are they still sneaking into clubs and hanging out in bars together, you know, underground? That happened till uh, three and a half weeks ago. So basically what happened is that uh, here in Bergamo is that the beginning of March, we still went skiing. There was this request from the government to take distance and to uh, not, not to hang out with people, but no one really, it was very nice weather that weekend, no one really followed that very strictly. And then the number of new cases started to explode and I had every five minutes an ambulance passing by my house at full serenas 24 hours a day and that really made an impact and then we had that same week i had in the office two colleagues with uh, uh, with uh, infection they stayed home and at the end of that week we had two colleagues that were the family members had died now there was a there was a massive change with me and everyone here that it was actually really serious. It was not just in a fever. Uh, it, was in a, it, it was something that was spreading like crazy. And then since then, people are really, really following up the rules, yeah. It's also that there's a lot of police controls, by the way. Well, folks, you're hearing where we're gonna go. I mean, there's no question America has to do this too. Um, small town, big town, rural, urban. Let's, let's switch gears a little bit now that we have this great insight in how to pivot and what the future is gonna look like here in America pretty soon. Um, your manufacturing future, do you still see it sort of Chinese-based and you know, a bunch of people working in a big room together with not great lighting? I mean, the sweatshop's dead, isn't it? Yeah, we had this same discussion this morning as well uh, in our uh, forum about what, what, what happens after this, because some people think when this is over, we go back to normal. And I don't think that will happen. I think there will be several uh, fundamental changes happening first. Well, everyone now knows how to use uh, online uh, video conference stuff like that. Our shops are closed, so now our we, we don't sell to shops, or very little, at least the shops that are open are very few. But our direct-to-consumer business is uh, growing exponentially. So we are from a dealer-centric with a little bit of direct-to-consumer business, we are now a direct-to-consumer business with a little bit of dealer business, and that happened in three weeks. And the last thing is um, production. We actually launched a year and a half ago our own carbon factory. Uh, this factory that's now producing the valves. We launched it a year and a half ago, first making cranks. And the real goal was to make complete frames and bicycles in Italy starting from April onwards. Now that is now delayed till June, July. We will still will do that. Um, but I, this is only going to accelerate things. I think we will accelerate to produce more uh locally and in my eo firm everyone is pretty much in agreement to that that uh that there will be more local production not country by country but in europe it will be more european production for the european market something in the us for the us market 
in something Asia with the Asian market. But the current supply chain uh, will definitely change, and people will travel less too. All these uh, one-day trips from uh, Milan to Paris and back for meeting that will not happen anymore. So there will be a lot of a lot of change with more local production, direct to consumer sales, and less traveling. Well, you've talked about supply chain and what a fragile supply chain we've learned we have. We um, in America have 155 medications that are what you'd call critical final stage meds. I mean, if you don't get them, you're gone. So for example, there's over 650,000 people that have renal failure, but the medications will keep them alive. And with those medications coming from India and coming from China, um, there might be a 90 day supply left in some clinics, but there's not gonna be a 91 day supply. And if you're a patient and you're on your 27th pill and you've got a 30 pill need, you got a big problem in America. So we're not even talking about the failures that are gonna to be to supply chain and the deaths that could be much larger than, we're talking about somewhere between 200,000 and 2 million, depending how smart and careful we are here in America. But we're talking about much larger numbers than that if we look at some of these medication supply chain failures. Are they talking about that in Italy now? Uh, also, yeah, yeah. If you if you need masks and you don't get the masks from China, <laughs> then then you know there's now going to be local production and that will not disappear. I don't think all these factories are now making masks in Italy will continue to do that, but that will be a driving force to more local production. And I think a lot of countries will start looking at this as a, also a security issue, right? Uh, if you're in a situation you can get uh, protective material, you can have a great army, but if you don't get the mask to protect your soldiers, then where you know where are you? So I think there will be that will also be a drive for more at, at, at least regional uh, production, and not this more a lot more where in the West we consume and in China we produce. That will definitely change. I'm going to assume that nobody I've ever met in my life knows more about 3D production than you. You have you have to have studied this to see what can this do to not only diversify your production but to simplify your production. Do you see 3D printing of carbon frame bikes and components coming in your immediate future because of the supply chain issue? Yeah, yeah, I see that coming. Yeah. Is is it going to be expensive? Is it going to be a slow transition? Is it going to happen quickly? No, oh, we, we were on that line to, our plan was uh, when we launched Spectre two years ago to be within five years to be, to produce half our needs in uh, in our own factory in Italy. And that will just accelerate now. I think now we will try to be there next year. So is China obsolete? Do you see China's, you know, their, their stronghold or their strength or their backbone as manufacturing? Do you see them as a, they're going to become quickly obsolete with their model, basically with their model? No, but China has been developing as well, right? If you look at Singapore, that was also starting as an outsourced cheap production country, and then they started to, you know, uh, um, inventing, designing products, and then uh, being an IP center, and now they are very strong in medical and biotech. Uh, and China has come through that as well, so maybe it accelerates China to also go more in the other directions. But the model of China as a low-cost producer for the rest of the world, that will change rapidly, I think. I don't know, I see industries going upside down. You know, Elon Musk, we've all heard of, but he is going to allow every car that car owner who wants to merge the car they buy from him, the Tesla, into their fleet so they can basically summon the car and use it as a taxi at any given time and earn revenues off it when they're not using their car. Wow. That's a really good example of an industry that's, he's not just disrupting the auto industry, he's disrupting the uh, Ubers, our existing change normally, but right now everything is possible. So there are, after this, the dust <laughs> falls down, then 
the 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 world will look different. It got some some countries will come out very strong, I think. Some companies will not be there anymore. Certain services will not be needed anymore. There will not be demand anymore for it. Uh, I have two friends in the travel business. They were they had a, a booming business uh, since till February, and now they have no revenues. Uh, so uh, you know things are changing really rapidly at the moment, and people are open for the change and adapting new things. So, folks, if you have any ability to contact friends and associates in Milan or Hong Kong or anywhere in China and you want to get a time travel view of what your future looks like, this is the wisest way I know is just pick up the phone and talk to somebody smart like Renee Wirtz. Um, we are a primary care show, but we're also dealing with this COVID crisis as effectively and efficiently and smartly as we can to help you pivot yourselves into a better future. Renee, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time and how cool my friends that ride bikes think your company is. I mean, they just, uh, when they heard 3T, they were going, oh, well, can I listen in and be a secret observer? It's like, yeah, that's great to be here. And thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you, Renee. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, Help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.